Hi, Cindy. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Have a seat. Is this on? Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Always nice to see you. Can I, can I just say I was really glad to see these chairs? Really? When I came in, well, I've been thinking about this for days. Really? How am I going to get up on one of those stools gracefully? Really? Can you imagine? We have a lift. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was a nightmare, but good, I brought you something. You brought me something? This isn't Tim Hortons, it's better. Oh, yeah. Sabi Valley Coffee. Have I brought you that before? No. Can you smell it? <sighs> the farm is not far from where I stay. Wow, well, thank you very much. And this is, this is my Hortons in Africa. Thank you very much. No drive throughs No drive throughs If you're missing Tim Hortons, you're not missing much. No, soap water, hey? <laughs> What's going on? I know. But I'm not going Starbucks. It's just a thing I have. Just a thing you have. I'll go for you. I'm going down. I'll double up when I go, and that way it'll be... That's my version of double-double. I'll have yours and mine. I'm going down. <laughs> I'm going to McDonald's for coffee now. Yeah. That's actually very good coffee. It is, isn't it? Okay, yeah. So now that we've settled that, we can just close and go home. We've settled oh, the whole coffee question. Yeah. Anyway, great to have you. Great to see you. Thank ya. you, and it's good to be here. It's good to see... Familiar faces and some faces I've met uh, since I've been in Africa. The lights are a bit bright. It's a good thing Ron White's not here because it'd be a glare. He's not <laughs> here, is he? Who's that? Ron White. <laughs> Where is he? I'm guessing in a trailer somewhere. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's get serious. Yeah. So anyway, it's good to have you. And uh, I guess a lot of people here will know who you are, and they've tracked with you for many years of your life, but uh, there's people here who, who have no idea who you are. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to get to where you are today in missions. I uh, started attending this church when I was four years old. I'm pretty sure I would have started earlier if it was here, but it wasn't here. Um, <laughs> And I was involved for many years in different aspects of ministry here, mostly the Sunday school. And uh, I was working for 27 years. I, I worked uh, for the same company. And I quit my job in 2006 and went for a two-month visit to South Africa to see Dean and Wendy Skinner, who are the former pastors here, for a visit. And, um, well, I, that was 13 years ago. So it's the visit that never ends. <laughs> and uh, so I've been involved in Emmanuel Press for the last 11 years, at least, um, and uh, pretty much enjoying it. Excellent. Well, I remember when you, like I said, when I came in 2005, you were on the board, and then I know shortly after that, you just thought, I got to get out of here, so I'm going to Africa. And I uh, remember seeing you off, and um, yeah. That's pretty much how it went. It, it's pretty much. Get out of here. But uh, a couple months can easily turn into a long time, for sure. Uh, and here we are today. Tell us about Emmanuel Press. Well, <clears throat> interesting that it's uh, 100 years of of uh, the PAOC and Mission Sending. I have been at Emmanuel Press, and it started in 1928 by the first missionary who was actually appointed by the PAOC. 
His name was Austin Chawner, and he went to uh, South Africa. And he actually went in 1925. And by 1928, he had started a ministry of printing gospel tracts, and that grew over the years. And so now we print about 15 different titles, uh, gospel tracts that are used for evangelism in 14 different languages. And I usually say this at the end of that, um, a tract here would be junk mail, I realize that. And uh, I actually thought the same thing in, like, Get With the Times, Africa. But tracts are so effective. It's unbelievable to me. And, you know, we send them out in packages of 100, and they get handed out everywhere. You know, if you're in the mall here or on the street or something, and someone offers you something, I'm going to guess that 80% of you won't take it. In Africa, they take it. It doesn't matter what you hand them. They'll take it and they'll read it. And, you know, sometimes even it gets discarded and someone else picks it up and reads it. So I I would venture to say there's millions of Emanuel Press tracts all across Africa. And we also print uh, Bible correspondence courses and have a correspondence school where we uh, endeavor to provide basic discipleship material or teaching to rural Africans who have no other way to be discipled. And um, a few, all of that's free of charge, by the way. A couple of years ago, we sat down to revamp our website and came up with uh, a vision statement. You know, every organization these days has to have a vision statement. And the vision statement of Emmanuel Press is to reach and disciple the people of Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. And it's going on 90 years now. And if Jesus doesn't come, I hope it goes on for another 90. Will you be there then? <laughs> I don't want to live that long. <laughs> Are you kidding? At this age, I'm already finding things don't work. <laughs> I actually... Um, brought a video with me of one of the students who's uh, living close to where we are in White River. And uh, I just want to show this quick, quick video. His name is Simanga. My name is Simanga. My surname is Mashaba. I'm actually a young pastor from the village. So what I'm doing, I'm just teaching the youth as well as the community. I'm also doing cell group churches and house churches and also an outreach to the villages, also to the community. Uh, it makes a lot of change towards the youth, to our community. It brings a lot of change. We've seen a change to the young people and to the youth as well. I was having a group that is now finished the courses they did graduate. I held the graduation alone. Then I handed over the certificate. It was very fantastic, and they were happy. Different certificates to different courses. So they were very happy. Uh, to Emmanuel Press staff and all of the people, those who are working towards Emmanuel Press, and to the supporters, uh, I like to thank them very much. They were very supportive to me. They were very helpful. 
I've seen a lot of different things to them. They was they are very friendly. They are smiling. They are very attentively towards a person. So I like to thank every staff, every person who is around Emmanuel Press. I say thank you to them. Samanga uh, spends his own money to come into town, pay the bush taxi fee, and uh, pick up the lessons for his group, take them out to the community, teach them for those that need further teaching, and then his own money again to come back into town and, and drop off the examinations for marking. And he's just one of hundreds who do the same thing, although they may not live close by, so they're using the postal service to uh, pay for a stamp and send it to us. But many, many doing it uh, just because of their love for Jesus, not because it gets them anything. Um, You know, in Africa, the fact that the courses are free is big. So the... They pool together their money to figure out how they can get the material back to us, their exams. It's, it's having an amazing impact, and that's just one, one testimony of many I could, could show you this morning. And actually, I want to tell you about another young man, younger than Samanga. He's, I'm going to guess he's about 18. And I can't say his name. It's spelled M-P-H-O. So, you know, it's missing a few vowels for my tongue. But uh, he's a young guy. He came to our gate a couple of months ago. Every property in South Africa is surrounded by walls or, or fences or something to keep people out. And we have a big iron gate that goes back and forth where the cars go in. And it was after work. It was probably 5, 6 o'clock at night. It was getting dark. And uh, he came to the gate. And he was looking for money. He wanted some money to get back home. So he would be about mm, 20, 30 kilometers away that he was trying to get to. And he had, had no money for a taxi. And, uh, you know, that's another thing that's kind of interesting. If I'm going on a trip, I make sure I have the money to get there and to get home. But Africans, they'll only have enough to get there often. And then they'll have to ask for enough to get home. And it's very, very common to, for people to ask for transport money. So he came to our, uh, to our gate and was asking for transport money. And just started talking to him a little bit about what he was doing in town. And being Canadian, I had to say, so how come you didn't bring enough money with you? <laughs> Oh, I'm here looking for a job, ma'am. I don't have a job. And I thought maybe I could get a job in White River. So I'm, I'm here looking for a job, and I just... I, 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 maybe I'll have to hike home, which is hitchhike, not safe. So I gave him some money for transport, and as he's just turning to go, he glances at the front of our building. And I think I've shown pictures before. We have an outline of Africa on the front of our building, and the word Jesus written boldly across it, symbolizing Jesus across Africa. And he got a glimpse of it, and immediately he changed. And he said, oh, I didn't know this was a Jesus place. I didn't know this was a Jesus place. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
And I'm saying, like, I thought that's why you came, because it's a Jesus place. But it turns out that he had been uh, influenced, I'm not exactly sure how, by some missionaries, given his heart to the Lord. And uh, as a young teenager, he was serving the Lord. But he got a lot of pressure from his family. His family kept saying to him, you have a calling, you have a calling, you must fulfill your calling. And it turns out his calling is to be a Sangoma. Now, a Sangoma is a witch doctor, but it's just a nicer word. And his family had pressured him so much that anytime something went wrong with him, they all blamed his, his lack of following his calling. And he needed to go away to, they call it, go up the mountain and go away and learn how to be a Sangoma. And he had resisted for a while, but he finally gave in. And so he was living with a Sangoma. And when he came down to White River Emmanuel Press, he was confronted without us saying much, confronted again with the gospel. And you could just see the conviction come over him. So a co-worker and I, we talked to him a little bit more and prayed with him and, you know, counseled him that he really needed to get out of where he was. And it's just not that easy because he doesn't have any money to live somewhere else. So, you know, it's not that I could provide him with a lot of solutions but I could pray with him. And, and we prayed and prayed for him that he would find another place to stay, that he would find a job, and that he would leave um, this calling on his life and try to explain to him the difference between witchcraft and Jesus Christ, the gospel, and that he shouldn't be playing around with that kind of thing. And, you know, it just... It really was an intense conversation. And then he said to me, your accent isn't normal. What kind I've of, gotten that before. What kind of accent is that? Where are you from? I said, I'm from Canada. Oh, oh, I want to go to Canada. I want to go to Canada. And, you know, that's usually the response. The Africans, they hear of places like Canada, the UK, America... And it symbolizes a better life mm. and, and opportunity, and, and they immediately say they want to go. And I said to him, you know, you may want to go to Canada, but, you know, I think you need to stay here in Africa. I think you need to get training. I think you need to get schooling. And then you need to tell your fellow Africans about the dangers of culture, not the, not the okay parts, but the dangers of how your culture forces you into witchcraft and then the dangers of witchcraft. We need, we need people like you who understand African culture and understand the scriptures and be able to help people because you're one of those people that need help. So why not pursue um, the calling of Christ and, and tell others the good news of Jesus? So... You know, I haven't seen him again, and that's not unusual either, but I still pray for that guy because mm. Africa needs Africans to yeah. tell them about the gospel. Amen.
They need people who understand their culture and the, the controversies and the difficulties and the family pressures. I understand a bit. I've, I've tried to learn as much as I can, but I still can't quite relate the same. Africa really needs Africans to spread the good news and to disciple people. That's excellent, which really is a good lead into the next question. I understand that you're going to have a new role in missions, so why don't you tell us about that? So I'm transitioning out of Emmanuel Press, actually, um, and into a new role with global education. That's the equipping arm of international missions with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and it's led by Kurt Caulfield. And I, he's creating a team that's more or less a, a consulting team, if I can call it that. There's um, a lot of Bible schools across the world that have been started by Pentecostal missionaries. And so Global Ed is a consulting service that's available to them to assist them with various needs that they have. And I'm going to be focusing primarily in Africa. And the first, the first uh, thing for, that I'm going to be doing starting in August is meeting with a couple Bible schools, one from Zimbabwe and one from Zambia, and working with some other people. We're going to help them develop different ways of uh, getting the training material, the course material, into the hands of their students and the teaching, the lectures, the notes. Because it happens a bit different in Africa. Here, um, most individuals would go to Bible school and then become a pastor. In Africa, a guy will get saved. A couple years later, he'll start a church and he'll be a pastor. And a few more years after that, he'll realize that he needs training. And so he'll want to go to Bible school. Either he'll have saved the money himself, his church will maybe help sponsor him, Global Ed provides some scholarships through the Timothy Fund. So he may get funds together to go to school, but he's got another problem. He's got a wife and a few kids and a job, which he needs to be able to look after his family, because being a pastor in Africa is not really a full-time paid position. A pastor always has, or most often has, another job. And so for him to go to campus and be there for nine months, a year, two years, studying, while valuable, it, it creates so many problems for him at home. He's got no one to run his church. He's got no one to look after uh, the funding that he needs for his family. So more and more pastors are not getting trained because they can't afford it. And then, you know, more and more false doctrine is propagated. What, one of the problems in Africa that I've seen is that the African traditional beliefs have found their way into the Christian church. And so there's a mixture of the two, which is not good. I, I, I don't need to explain that further. It's just, it's just not pleasing to the Lord. And it's idolatry sometimes. It's, I won't go into detail, but there's a big problem with that. And so we need to train the Africans. Mm. So we're going to work with... <clears throat> different ways 
of doing it, some yet to be developed, but some might be micro SD cards in a solar player. Uh, some might be jump drives. Some, some internet use. It's very expensive data in Africa, but perhaps um, some internet online learning. So we want to help them figure out how to do that. I'm also going to be working with a couple of global workers who do training um, and help them just sort of get organized. They need some manuals prepared and they need some uh, databases of their students. They need some communication programs. So, you know, I, I sometimes think the 27 years that I spent at Emanuel Press were preparing me for, I'm sorry, at Livingston, my job were preparing me for Emanuel Press. Mm. And now it seems like this is just the next progression after Emanuel Press to get into global ed. And I'm not an educator in any way. I'm not educated. But um, they always need the people behind the scenes that need to make it work for them. And I think I'm good at making something work for someone. You just tell me what you need and I'll make it work. So... That's what I'm looking forward to doing for the next few years, and I'll be doing some traveling in Africa, but still keeping my home base uh, in White River. So I'll be among the familiar while I go into the unfamiliar. Mm. It's exciting when I hear you talk about this, because I know the thrust of world missions for a number of years has been trying to train the locals to do the ministry, that that's a more effective way, which is what you talked about earlier. And of course, then the emphasis has to be on training them in order to do it. So to see you shifting into that is actually uh, very exciting uh, when I hear you talk about that. I'm happy to be doing that uh, because I've personally seen the need myself. And, you know, if you ever get a chance to go on a missions trip, go. Um, I'll be honest, the missionary you're going to see probably won't be excited (laughs) because short-term mission teams sometimes... They're a pain. Okay. They are. They can be a challenge, yeah. but it'll change you. Yeah. And so go anywhere, even Mexico, anywhere, and, and see how, what would you say, 80% of the world lives. Yeah. The needs are tremendous. You'll, you'll go away changed. And so there's always a struggle. Do I want to be out feeding the hungry? Well, yeah, I do. I really do. But my friend in South Africa keeps reminding me, we can feed the hungry. Even Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. What do we want to do? Get them fed to go to hell? It's more important that you feed their spiritual man. And so I'm happy to be involved in that. Cindy, uh, the POC recently began, as I referred to earlier, celebrating 100 years of ministry and the International Missions Department. And they've called it 100 Points of Light. Why don't you explain to us what that's all about? So in celebrating 100 years of ministry, the International Missions Department uh, developed a program, 100 Points of Light, whereby they have a vision to see 100 more global workers commissioned to the mission field in the next five years. And these 100 new missionaries are going to be sent mostly to the unreached people Unbelievably to me, there's still 3.1 billion people in the world. So to me, that's about half the world population unreached. Now, 
That number comes from the Joshua Project, and there are some criteria to consider unreached, and you're welcome to search that yourself on, on the internet, but they really have no strong Christian influence in their community in any way. And so PAOC is uh, raising the flag to uh, enlist more missionaries, more global workers to go around the world. And actually, you know, maybe there's missionaries sitting here that are feeling the call and the time to go. And I'm just going to end with a video about 100 points of light. And I think it'll speak to you, it'll challenge you. But before we, we do that, let me say thank you to Evangel. It's my church home. Uh, it's the only church that I really know in Canada. And there's so many friendly faces here. The people that I don't know, you're also very friendly and you always greet me and, and I just feel at home here. And so I want to say thank you very, very much. Your prayer support, your financial support, I can't tell you how much it means to me. So we'll just end with this video. 3.1 billion. How long would it take you to count to that number? If you counted one number every second without breaks, without eating or sleeping, it would take you 98.3 years. According to the Joshua Project, that number represents the number of individuals without access to the gospel because the church in their community is so small or non-existent. There are places in the world where you could shake the hands of 100,000 people and not meet one believer. That is 3.1 billion individual names. 3.1 billion dreams, 3.1 billion hopes, 3.1 billion fears. Our God not only knows their names, their dreams, and their hopes, He knows the very number of hairs on each head. And His love is so great that He sent His own Son to die for them. In Acts 13, we see the first church, a local church in Antioch, a church just like yours, sending Paul and Barnabas out to do the work that God had prepared for them, to proclaim His word. Over the last 100 years, churches just like yours from all across Canada have sent over 3,000 Canadians to share the love of Christ to people all around the globe. This is your story. This is our story. Collectively, we have seen God plant over 50,000 churches. We've seen over 12 million people come to Christ. Over 35,000 pastors and leaders have been trained in the 54 colleges God has enabled us to establish. Today, there are over 13,000 local leaders preparing for ministry. Our workers have also fed the hungry. They've given water to the thirsty. They've cared for the widow, for the orphan, for the refugee, for the migrant, for the prisoner. The God that so loved the world wants us to continue to work with Him to bring good news to the 3.1 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel. Mums, dads, boys and girls, all created in His image. God's call that has been central to who we are must continue to beat strong in the heart of every believer and every church. God wants people from every walk of life and vocation to respond to His call. What is God saying to you? Would you consider joining our team of committed global workers and go where God calls? Over the next five years, we want to send 100 new workers into God's harvest field. 
If God is calling you, we need you. thank you for sharing with us this morning. And um, I want to say to you um, how happy we are that you're doing what you're doing, how honored we are to partner with you. Um, And we want to continue to do that and pray for you and financially support you. And as a congregation, we're being reminded these days of how important it is for us to stay consistent in our giving, both to the church as a general, but also to our missions fund, because we can only help people like you if we're able to raise those funds and bring them in, and we want to be able to continue to do that. Um, as we wrap up, sorry, did you want to? I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it very much. Well, we appreciate you. And uh, I'd like to pray for you as we end this. And uh, what are some things that we could pray as we pray for you? Not just in this moment, but as we leave. Well, I'm stepping into a big challenge, and I'm not sure that I know all the parts that I should know. That's good. Uh, You know, (laughs) I like that because I like a challenge. Yeah. I also like it when I can't do it and God has to help me because it just helps me to know that I'm on the right track. And it's good when he does stuff through you. It's, It's a privilege. And so I'm learning all you have to do is be willing. And he'll do what needs to be done to fill the gap. So, you know, I, I don't want you to pray me to, for me to get so smart that I don't need the Lord. But okay. I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but a little bit clear clarity and wisdom. And um, I hesitate to bring it up, but finances is big. Yeah. It, it's not something that I like to talk about. But God is good. Well, your situation's unique, right? Because you haven't pastored in different churches all your life across the country that you can go back to for support. It's true. And I've attempted to get into a few churches, but I'm competing with other people that have been pastors and gone to the mission field that know people. And, you know, that, that doesn't give me an excuse, but I'm grateful for every single person who does support me. Um... I am going to be doing some traveling, and as far as I know, I pay for that. So I need to increase my funding, and it's just another chance for God to show up and help me out. And he's done it throughout my life, even before I became a missionary, so I'm just waiting for him now. Okay. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we want to pause this morning and thank you for everything that we've heard. We want to thank you that we've been reminded of one place uh, on this earth and what you're doing there and who you're touching and how you're doing it. And we're reminded that there are many places all over the world today where you have called individuals who have faithfully responded to you and have gone. And you're doing a great work there. You're touching lives and changing uh, cultures. You're changing families and whole communities. And Lord, we just thank you for it. Father, we pray for Cindy this morning. I thank you for what we've heard. I thank you for her journey. I thank you in those years of working in her field and probably never seeing that that could ever equate to what she's doing now. 
to be able to look back and see your hand upon her life, preparing her uh, for the task that you've now called her to. Lord, I thank you that you call us, you equip us, and you provide for us. And I just pray right now for Cindy as she is uh, going down this road into a new area. The excitement of it is that it's overwhelming and without you it's not possible. So that's exciting. But the scary part is it's overwhelming and without you it's not possible. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come through and I pray that you would provide for her, um, Lord, the, the uh, financial, her financial needs. I pray that you would lead her and guide her, give her the ability to do what you're asking her to do. Empower her with your spirit. Anoint her to do this ministry. Lord, even if the ministry may not be seen as frontline, but behind the scenes, I pray your hand would be upon her, give her wisdom and understanding. And Lord, we know that when students learn in a distance context that often the biggest struggle is not the academics, but is the sense of isolation and loneliness uh, and just feeling that they're out there completely on their own. And I pray that you would help people like Cindy on this team to be that resource, to be that personal touch, that face, that voice, that they feel that they are connected to something bigger than themselves as they struggle through uh, to accomplish their, their academic goals. And so, Father, today, I just pray your blessing on Cindy, on her family. And Lord, as she prepares to go back, I pray that you would open doors of ministry for her, open doors of financial resources for her, so that, Lord, you will help her meet the challenges of this next level of need in the ministry that you're calling her to. And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.